Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. All right, all right, all right. We are back after a fairly long hiatus, but we are back. We're back with our part two of the courting process. And to help me unpack all that is uh, a former guest from, oh man, all the way back in season one, uh, Dr. Laura Guerrero. Thanks so much for coming back to the show. Of course. Good to see you. You too. And last time we had you here, we talked about jealousy. So we were in a very dark side mood, but now we've got uh, a much more positive spin to our conversation. We're talking about fledgling relationships and, uh, you know, getting to know you time and stuff like that. So hopefully the listeners get to see the, the more positive side of that. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, in this, uh, in this third season, we've been talking so much more about like really specific uh, elements that contribute to relational communication. Um, and last episode we had Dr. Lisa Van Ralta on to talk about like some of the best ways to like, for lack of a better term, flirt with or hit on or pick up people. Uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about dating, uh, broadly and some of the ways in which we can, uh, shoot our shot without coming off as weird or, you know, creating an awkward environment. And so I can't think of anybody better to help me out with that. Not only are you an expert, but of course you've got uh, two daughters who I'm sure have to fend off their fair share of, uh, of suitors. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, why don't we just hop right into it? Uh, my first question, I hesitate to ask this question and I think you'll see why in a minute, but the question is, you know, how does the courting process differ based on age? I don't like using age there, maybe more like uh, like life stage or life chapter. How, how do we see the courting process changing as people progress through their identities? Well, I think surprisingly not as much as you might guess it would. So you know, one common comment that I get from students when I teach attraction and courtship is, yeah, but when you get older, you won't care about how they look and you'll be more into finding someone who shares your personality and your values. And that's true a little bit, but not as much as we might think. So a lot of the same processes are in place. And if you look at the courtship process on dating apps, now, this is really telltale because there's some that are very specific in terms of what they're targeting in terms of age group or life stage. So you have like silver singles and then you have Tinder and then you have some that, you know, recently widowed or recently divorced, but they all follow the same process pretty mm. much. And so the process of courtship doesn't change. I think sometimes the goals do. So mm. when you're younger, you might not be looking for immediately a long-term relationship, you might be looking for more casual kinds of hookups at that stage of your life. But if the right person came along, you'd probably abandon that and go for the relationship. And I think, think the same is true when you're older. Sometimes you go in thinking, you know, I want, I maybe want something serious, but then you meet people and you're having fun with them and, and you think, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I don't want to stop my life for this person, but I want to still to continue to see them and keep it, keep it kind of casual. So I think the goals going in might be a little bit different depending on your life stage. Um, certainly, there are differences if you're going in looking for a relationship, you're going to be a lot choosier. Mm -hmm. And this is true for both men and women. You're going to be very choosy. So if you go in and you click 
I'm looking for a relationship or you know, you're out with your friends and you're, you're tired of just hooking up and you really are looking for something a little bit more serious, you are going to be much choosier in the courtship process in terms of who you're going to start something with and interact with. Uh, if it's just a hookup, women are still fairly choosy, but men are much less choosy. So <laughs> they're going to click. If you're looking for a hookup, most men will click on a lot more women than they would if they're looking for some something serious. Whereas women, there's going to be a difference, but it's not going to be quite as big. So yeah, age, sex, life stage makes a difference. But like I said, when you look at the process, it's fairly similar. Mm -hmm. And it's almost disheartening. I, I read a huge study that looked at um, online dating. And the number one predictor of whether people clicked on someone was physical appearance, regardless yep. of age. Yep. That was the number one. You know, maybe what criteria you use to rate their physical appearance might change a little bit as you get older, but that was still the number one criteria uh, across all age groups. And I was maybe hoping that that wouldn't be the case, uh, but but it was. So. Yeah, not surprised at all. <clears throat> I really like what you said about goals, because. I think that people do have this like preconceived notion that like older versus younger people date differently. And that may be the case, but only tangentially. Like perhaps it's that because when we're older, we may have a different goal structure that that might lead us to engage in slightly different behaviors. Yes. Um, but, but I think that that would probably be an indirect effect. So I, I, I think that's an important qualification. Yeah. You still have to be looking pretty. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think it does, like I said, your goals can be fluid. So I think that uh, there are, are many college students you talk to who will say the last thing they wanted to do was get into a relationship, but they fell in love. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so they, they went through the courtship process and usually men fall in love faster than women and men are more likely to have the goal of just hooking up. Um, so this happens quite a bit to men who kind of are surprised that their goals change in the middle of the courtship process. Uh, so I, I think, you know, part of what's happening is the communication that you have with the person, the interaction that you have with them is going to end up influencing the trajectory of some of the goals that you have. I agree. And we see that also in the friends with benefits research and we'll, oh, have, definitely. we'll have Dr. Mongeau on, uh, in a, in a few weeks to talk about just that. Um, I'm going to skip question number two and come back to it because you were talking about the, the importance of physical attractiveness in the dating process. And I think that that's a natural transition uh, into uh, the third question that I had planned for you, which was I, it, there's no it's not a secret that appearance and adornment or, you know, the way that we dress and put ourselves together are really important, crucial elements of the dating process. And so my question for you is kind of like a one one yes, one no. Like what's one big do and one big don't of putting yourself together? Like, let's say you like snag a date and you're really excited to see the person. Like what's something you should definitely do in terms of your appearance and something that you definitely should not do in terms of your appearance? Yeah, that's great. And then after that, I would love to like talk about kind of the bigger context of appearance and how okay. it fits in. But I would say uh, do dress like yourself. Uh, sometimes people overdo it. And sometimes less is more. So sometimes you'll see women dress overly sexy, wear too much makeup, too much perfume. A guy will put on too much cologne. Now you you want to obviously project your best self, but you also don't want to over project yourself and look like you're trying too hard. Mm. Uh, so I think that's a big thing. You want them to see who you really are. And even when we put pictures on dating apps, oftentimes people will you know, exaggerate too much 
what they look like and then the person meets them and they're they're disappointed. I know, right? Yes, definitely. You know, you it's not quite like a catfish, but it kind of feels like it, right? Yeah, we talked about um, that with Emmy when Emmy Hashi was on. We talked about that with expectancy violations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I think you know that is a key. You you want to dress for the date, for the the situation that you're in. You now there there's a lot of good research out there that talks about that women should emphasize, you know, one or two maybe uh, sexy qualities of themselves uh, and not be too in your face about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, you know, and it's sexist, right, to say it, but that men will then start thinking more about what they what they're looking at than the person and the content of the conversation. So you hate to say that, but there's research that talks about that. So you want to be able to get to that place in the date where you feel like you're in sync with the person or you're not. And you know, to walk away and try, you know, not invest your time in it. So you want to be focusing on the qualities that are going to get you beyond being attracted to physical appearance. And so if too much emphasis is on your physical appearance, that might be what's occupying the mind of your date too much. Uh, Uh, the, The brain can only handle so many stimuli at once. Correct. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So you want them to be stimulated by who you are instead of what you look like. But at the same time, you do obviously want to look physically appealing because we know it is the number one um, feature or characteristic of a person that makes them attractive you know, for that initial click or that initial mm-hmm. time you see the person and you're attracted to them. Interesting. Yeah. So in short, be yourself. Don't don't stretch too far. Yeah, don't stretch too far. And there's another reason for that that is the bigger literature. So mm. a lot of people think if you're really attractive, that you're going to get all the dates. And that's oh. actually not true. Yes, I know where you're going with this. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually not true. When you're extremely attractive, you have a lot of negative stereotypes associated with you as well. Now, women will be thought, oh, she probably has a long sexual history. She probably isn't going to stay with me because she has so many options. Mm -hmm. She's probably vain and stuck up and superficial. The opposite of the halo Uh, effect. Right, right. And so you do get a lot of that halo effect, but there's a place where you also start to get some negative spin as well. So they're still going to see a lot of positives. That halo effect is going to be there if you're super attractive, mm-hmm. but you're also going to get some of that, that negativity attached to you. Uh, with men too, you know, he's a player. You know, he's, he's just too good looking. He's not going to be loyal to me. Um, I'm going to have to worry about other women chasing after him all of the time. He's probably really vain. He probably thinks he's better than everybody else. So there's those negatives as well. And interestingly, that's not really associates different than being too sexy, which I talked about can be distracting during the date. But this is this is kind of different. This is if you're too sexy, you might not even be thought of as being in this upper echelon of being very right. physically or, or attractive. Or even having a personality for that matter. Right. You can't have a personality if you're, you know, you're all superficial, right. you're all fake, you know, there's all of these. So, and the, the dating, it's interesting because people will talk about the matching hypothesis versus you just want the most attractive person possible. Mm-hmm. And the matching hypothesis is that you want somebody within the same range. You probably have talked about this on the show before. So, you know, twice. if I'm a seven, I might go for a six, mm-hmm. I might go for an eight or a nine, but I'm probably not going to go for the dime. 
Uh, I'm, I'm going to think I'm going to get rejected. They're not going to stay with me. They're kind of out of my league, mm-hmm. which is silly because this is just physical appearance, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's but a whole so, bevy of other factors. Yes, but people still do tend to think this. And what the mm-hmm. research on dating apps has shown is that we we have kind of two things. We have we, w- we would love to date the most attractive people we can find, but we also know that they have the most options. Mm. So we have kind of our aspirational people that we would like to date, and then we have reality, and there's usually a range within that, which is what we look for. Right. So yeah, we might go ahead and you know click on somebody who's really attractive, but if they actually respond, we might be surprised and not <laughs> sure if we should actually accept the date. Uh, so some of the research suggests we look for people up to kind of 25 to 30% more attractive than we think we are. That's kind of the ideal comfort zone we mm-hmm. have. And then we don't go much below where we are. Interesting, so all superficial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And well, appearance alone usually doesn't get you beyond a third date. Yeah. But, yeah. You got it. You actually have to get to know the person and, and, and form a relationship with them. So, okay. So let's move beyond that. Then let's talk about some of the other nonverbal factors that are involved in courting. One thing that I think gets really, really overlooked in the non, not not in the nonverbal literature, but in like the lay world understanding of what a date is, is the environment. Um, I, I don't think we pay attention to environment or the artifacts in the environment enough. So my question to you is, what is a, a good choice for a first date? And then what's a not good choice for a first date? I would say, you know, avoid the cliche. You know, the dinner and the movie, I think the dinner can be fine and that can be respectful to somebody that you're actually taking them out mm-hmm. you know, and not just coming over for Netflix and chilling and <laughs> having takeout. You know, so I think that can be respectful and that gives you time to have a conversation. Uh, it can be awkward. I would be careful to go to a restaurant where you can eat in a way that you're not going to get the food all over yourself. Uh, so, you know, if you take somebody to a restaurant that uh, it, it's going to involve eating eating food that might make it difficult to have a conversation. So think about places where you know you can take a bite of something easily and continue a conversation for mm-hmm. that. A, a movie, you know, I, I, it's too cliche. There's no real opportunity to, to talk and get to know the person, which is what you need if you want the relationship to develop beyond this. I would also say consider what's called the excitation transfer. Uh, so the studies yeah. that have shown that the environment transfers into your feelings of them. So if you take somebody to a place that's pleasant and exciting, those feelings of pleasantness and excitement from the environment are going to rub off on them. So like we've all seen, well, not all of us, but many of us have seen like on The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Yeah, they go uh, skydiving. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Excitation transfer. Absolutely. I won't name them because I don't want to get sued, but there was one couple <laughs> on there that... I thought, you know, my daughters and I were watching it and they're like, they are not a good couple. Like they just, you could tell they're Mm. too different in the wrong ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could just tell that they wouldn't last. And their date was bungee jumping and they were both really scared and nervous and they went on the bungee jump and they were holding on to each other and kissing and we were like, oh no, they're going to end up together and it's not going to last. And that's of course what happened because all the relief that they felt when they survived this and went through this exciting experience got kind of transferred to each other. So I, I wouldn't suggest necessarily going bungee jumping, but you know, notice how all the dates that they set up on those shows, they're romantic, they're exciting, mm-hmm. they're different 
they're original and, and active too, like getting the body active, moving, yeah. getting the adrenaline flowing. Yeah, that's I think that's a really really good point. Yeah, so the worst place to go would, you know, taking somebody to see a sad movie or I had a friend once who um, somebody took her to the Holocaust exhibit in San Diego oh, and no. she said it was the worst first date ever. <laughs> you know, and, and that doesn't surprise me. She said it was the, the museum itself was very fascinating, but she said sure. it was just such a, a depressing place to go. Yeah, that, that sounds like a case state. of emotional contagion to me. Yes. And that's part of this too. The, and we get emotional contagion from each other. So if we're getting vibes from an environment and that's affecting our mood, then our partner picks up on that and there's emotional contagion there. So that's part 100%. of, yeah, think about where you're taking them, you know, taking them, find out what they like. Yeah. Um, right. Oh, what a concept. <laughs> yeah. If they like amusement parks, go to Disneyland. You know, if, if they have a hobby that they like, suggest doing that. Nice. So find out what they like and build that similarity and then also think of the mood that that environment will put you in. Yeah, I think that choosing, like you said, being original and 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 taking a date that involves some sort of activity without putting like pressure on the yes. other person to perform in some way is, is usually a safe bet. Um, that said, I, I mean, at, at least out here in Southern Utah, we've got people you know, proposing hikes for a first date, I would say that that can carry some problems with it too, from an isolation standpoint. Yes. So you want to choose somewhere public as well. Hiking might be a good second or third date once the other person feels comfortable and safe. Yes. And the same with introducing to friends. So, I mean, there's some situations where you could say, okay, you need a date for some function, not a, probably a wedding. I wouldn't make a first date ever, but you know, there, there might be a work function or something you need to bring somebody. You need to make sure the person's going to be comfortable with that. Uh, because when we introduce people to our family and friends, it usually sig has a significance associated with it. So I'd be careful about that. The first date usually should be private. And if you really do need to take somebody and you've been talking to somebody for two or three weeks and this is a first date and you're like, hey, we should stop by, make that a casual part of the date and make sure you have enough time before or after you jump in there to have that time alone with yeah. the person. Yeah, good point. Okay, let's say that we've just hit them all out of the park. We are looking good. We are feeling good. We are, we've taken them <laughs> to a place that they like, um, but we're still not sure if they're super into us or maybe it's just like an insecurity thing and you just don't know how to make the move. What are some uh, perhaps subtle or not so subtle nonverbal cues that we might want to be on the lookout for in terms of is this person interested in me? Or maybe said better, what's a way in which we can do like a little secret test, a non-threatening secret test, non-verbally to gauge a person's interest? Yeah, and this can be tough because especially with Generation Z and some of the younger millennials, it's cool to not act interested. Mm. People don't want to appear desperate. Uh, they want to appear like they can take or leave someone. It's kind of built into a lot of their social media. So it is harder now. I think both people want the other person to be the one to show the interest first. And obviously you're on a date, so you know that there is some interest there. But sometimes people are still pretty guarded mm -hmm. um, in this generation. And, and it's hard too, because when you look at, especially like I said, Gen Z, 
uh, oftentimes you don't get to date until you've been talking for a while. So people feel a lot of pressure at this point that we've been talking and investing in this and now we're finally hanging out and how is this going to go? So people can be really nervous and that can be misread sometimes as misinterest mm. or it can make the date go bad because of emotional contagion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you feel a lot of pressure and you're nervous, the other person picks up on that. It's, it's going to, um, it's going to hit there. I would say the number one thing I would look for is, are they paying attention to you and do they want to stay on the date? Mm. So, you know, they might be nervous. They might not know how to show how they feel, but are they, are they looking at their phone? That's a bad sign. Are they, so it's kind of sometimes what they aren't doing. Now, when you move from dinner to something else and you suggest going another place, do they say, no, it's late, I need to go home, or do they want to do those things? Ultimately, it's to me, that's the number one indicator of interest. And I tell people this too, if you wanna find out what the person's intentions are to you. Also, do they hook up with you and go home or do they want to spend the night? You know, do Mm. they want to have breakfast with you in the morning? I think it's the same on the date. If they're willing to invest time into being with you, to me, that's the biggest sign that I would would look for. I would also look for animation. So regardless if they're nervous or not, usually there's some animation when especially they feel comfortable. So even if they're feeling nervous, at those moments where they feel comfortable and they feel like you've just said something positive to them and given them reinforcement, they're usually going to get animated and look happy about that. And I think that's another thing that you can do. You want to make the other person, if you like them, feel as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you don't have to be like, I like you, but you can laugh and you can bring up topics that you think that they're going to be interested in. And if they're not interested, you can move to the next co- next topic. And the more comfortable you make them, the more likely they're to, to leak out how they feel about you. Yeah. Oh, I, I, it's funny because we just talked about like affection and intimacy in my nonverbal class. So I feel like I'm sitting in on last week's class right now because we <laughs> we talked about all of this stuff. We talked about like the importance of, of animation, of, um, you know, are you nervous? Probably it's a first date, but how are you, you know, reacting? How are they reacting to your reactions? Um, that can help clarify where things stand. And I think that so often, and maybe I'm just jaded because I've been seeing all of these like TikTok dating coaches saying things like, well, if they look down and then look up and then brush their hair back, it means they're interested. Like, no, <laughs> Maybe. no, even though, you know, like you could say if you're snapping somebody like a, a lot of younger men will say, you know, oh, she doesn't like me because she's taking so long to snap me back. Actually, it's probably the opposite. Mm-hmm. She's probably making sure she looks good before yeah, she snaps maybe, back. Maybe practicing so, a bunch of times. <laughs> Yeah, so you can misread a lot of these cues, but there's no one telltale sign. You know, people will say, you know, if your eyebrows go up, if you, you know, if women show their neck. Mm -hmm. Yes, those are flirtatious cues, but you have to look at the package. And I think the number one thing is, are they interested in being there with you? Are they interested in having that conversation with you? And different people are going to show that different ways. Um, But that's, that's the heart of it. You know, somebody could be fiddling with their hair because they're uncomfortable and nervous. Yeah, maybe it itches. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, or they could be fiddling with their hair because they're nervous because they like you so much. And Mm -hmm. we don't want to try to get inside people's heads too very much. You know, and that's why I say just bottom line, does it seem like they're interested in being in that space with you and getting to know you? Yeah. So maybe instead of focusing so much on the little idiosyncratic behaviors that we tend to get caught up on, um, stepping back and uh, maybe, dare I say, engaging in some me- meta communication and w- watching the interaction as it happens and, you know, gauging that person's overall level of comfort rather than how they react to each and every uh, yes. individual utterance is, is the better strategy. Yes, immediacy is usually processed Mm -hmm. uh, and affection is usually processed globally. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yes, if somebody touches you, you're going to notice that. Uh, But in general, we process these things as a gestalt, which means we do look at the whole picture. And that's what we want to do. And I think that that can be dangerous to the date. If you're sitting there nitpicking and looking for every single sign, you're not going to be in the conversation. And then you're going to be sending a signal that you're not into the other person. I know. And then they they catch you like staring and then it's very strange and awkward. Like, yeah, uh, I think that people may spend a little bit too much time focusing on individual behaviors because I think we're, we're programmed to look for simple solutions to complex issues. But, Mm -hmm. um, if we can step back, we may, um, we may be a little bit more successful. Yeah, and then you're overthinking and your mind isn't on them and the conversation. And I think the number one predictor with communication of what's going to make you go on the next date is, was there a good flow? Were you in sync with the other person? So getting out of your head and being in the moment and enjoying the other person, probably one of the best pieces of advice you can give somebody on a first date. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Guerrero, for joining us once again. Uh, Next time, we'll be talking about happiness with uh, Dr. Kamrath. Pleasure having you here as always. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always good to see you, James. (laughs) We'll talk soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.